our society is gravitating towards people who can transition from that preacher voice to a more of a conversational, like, I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to be real with you. I'm going to be very upfront with you, but I'm not going to switch voices when I'm up on stage. So I'm not going to switch to the preacher voice. Like I'm trying to get that more of how do I have a conversation, but a very like in their business at times conversation and, and have that voice. So I think that's the I still feel like I'm learning that process. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 51 of the Preaching Donkey podcast. I am your humble host, Lane Sebring. We've got a great episode for you today. I had a chance to sit down with Mike Ash, a pastor in Tampa, Florida, and we talked through everything from sermon prep and planning to research to having your heart right to how to deliver a sermon effectively. We even talked about the last 30 or 40 years of the evangelical movement here in the United States and all the different waves and trends and what might be coming next. There's a lot in this interview. Mike is a very skilled, intentional communicator, and you're going to learn a ton from him. We'll get to that in just a second. If you are new here, welcome. I'm so glad that you're watching here on YouTube or listening on one of the many podcast players that there are. I want to give you something as a way of saying thank you for stopping by today. Go to preachingdonkey.com slash 21 days. You can pick up my free 21-day guide to creating killer sermons. It's a three-week, three-step process that will walk you through how to create and deliver a compelling, life-changing message. So whether you've been preaching for a long time or you're brand new to it and you're just trying to figure out how do I write a sermon, how do I deliver a sermon, 21-day guide is for you, preachingdonkey.com slash 21 days. And if you haven't checked out preachingdonkey.com slash courses, definitely go there and you can see that we have an amazing course called Preaching Jumpstart. If you are brand new to preaching and you're trying to figure out how to intentionally write a message so that it is geared towards action and life change, then this is the course for you. I talk to a lot of pastors who struggle every week to consistently write creative and compelling and life-changing messages, which is not easy to do, but it's much easier when you have a system, when you have a good workflow, when you have a plan. When you sit down to write a message, you should not be reinventing the wheel every single time with your process. And Preaching Jumpstart is going to walk you through step-by-step exactly how to get your sermon written and delivered. So you can find that at preachingdonkey.com slash courses. All right, with no further delay, we're gonna go to the interview with Pastor Mike Ash. Mike Ash, it's so awesome to have you on the show today. Good to have you here, man. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. It's good to be able to come and hang out, connect a little bit and talk about preaching. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So a lot of my people who listen are pastors that are in their journey of at some point they became a pastor and started kind of working on writing and delivering messages. You currently are on staff at a church, but how did you get there? How did Mike Ash become Pastor Mike Ash? Yeah, it's kind of a fun journey because I didn't grow up going to church at all. When I was, and I actually, when I was a teenager, I lived in St. Pete, Florida. I'm from Indiana. I lived in Tampa, St. Pete area, St. Pete, Florida. I actually, when I was a teenager, I got in a lot of trouble. Um, was in a gang for a while. actually got kind of beaten to a gang. Um, did all hold kinds on, of what, bad hold stuff. Hold on one second. You were in yeah, a yeah. gang. Yeah, yeah. So they were called the North Side Crips. And, you know, we weren't like shooting people. But we were yeah. definitely robbing stuff and getting in fights and doing drugs and doing all kinds of stuff. And I, and that's kind of how I got saved because I, I had been arrested a few times for like breaking into houses and getting in trouble. And the last time I got arrested, 
my friends and I basically took one of their mom's cars. So we, we stole it, but it was, we had the keys. So we didn't like, you know, hotwire it. And I had a knife on me and we had like weed in the car and we got arrested and I was driving the car. And so I got in trouble for having all that stuff on me. And my mom, my dad lived in Indiana still. And my mom came in and talked to the police officer and said, Hey, um, instead of like pressing charges for all this stuff, would you consider sending him to go live with his dad in Indiana? And so they came in and they, I don't know why, but the grace of God, they, they said we could do it. I think they were tired of dealing with me because in our community, I was kind of a, a troublemaker. And so I wanted to go live with my dad in Indiana. And when I got off the plane, he said, I'm not asking you were going to church. And so that was kind of how I started going to church, got saved, felt called in the ministry, um, started going to Bible college. And then when I was um, 21, I moved down with a guy who was like a friend and mentor for me. He moved down. We moved down to Fort Myers, Florida to start a church down there. It was called, it's still called Next Level Church. Um, and we moved down in May 12th of 2002, we started Next Level Church in a movie theater, 35 people. And we just didn't know what we were doing. I was 21. I still smoked cigarettes. Like I, like I didn't like, we didn't know the first year of the church. I, I still smoked, um, but eventually gave it up because I thought it'd hold me back as a pastor, but I was there 14 years. The church ended up growing to about 2,500 people. While I was there wow. and it was, it was awesome. So I, I did everything, kids ministry, student ministry. And I ended up being uh, one of the executive pastors at the church. And then the church I'm at now in Tampa um, was they, they were going to start their third site and they are their fourth site. I think at this point, they, then they called me and said, Hey, we just bought a Win Dixie. And I was good friends with their executive pastor. And he said, we currently don't have a campus pastor that we think would be a good fit. Would you consider, um, coming up to be the campus pastor? And so my wife and I came up and interviewed, we prayed for it. And it was good timing for us to transition out to next level. And so we came to Tampa in 2016 and uh, help start the campus of Grace Family Church um, in South Tampa. So now I'm still the campus pastor there, and I also oversee our campuses, and I'm on our teaching team here. So we have now we have six. In a couple months, we're going to launch our seventh campus um, here in Tampa Bay. Wow, that's that's an awesome journey. So from gang from gang member uh, <laughs> uh, hauling around weed, getting beat into a gang, <clears throat> to starting a church. To, to leading this uh, this campus and this these campus pastors and this staff. That's an amazing, that's that's an awesome journey. I love that. It's um, pretty fun, yeah. Yeah. Uh, in fact, it's funny. I knew you were in a gang, uh, full disclosure, because I, I saw you speak one time. It's actually how we got, got connected that day. Um, and I remember watching um, that story. When you first said that you were in a gang, I laughed, like audibly laughed, because I thought you were joking. And then you kept going, you kept going with the story. And I was like, this is awesome. This guy was really a gangbanger back in the day. I love it. Yeah. If you see me now being in a gang, is not, I mean, you wouldn't, you don't go there in your mind, you know, from wearing like 32 inch legs on Jinko jeans back in the day and doing all kinds of no, stupid I, stuff. That's I'm not, pretty that's sure that not day who... you had, you had a really cool J crew uh, button down shirt on and like khakis. Right. right. Um, uh -huh. Uh -huh. And I know the shirt cause I have those same J crew shirts. Uh, but yeah, not gang apparel. Like the, you didn't just have the top button buttoned and everything undone. I mean, you had it. <laughs> that's right. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I'm not, yeah, that's, that story always surprises people when I kind of get into some of the things I've been through in my past. And, and honestly, the, the thing that's funniest is when I first had to tell my kids that I was arrested, 
Um, they were driving by someone who's getting arrested, getting put into a cop car. And they asked my wife, mom, have you ever been arrested? And she's like, no. And she just starts laughing. She knows what's coming. Cause the next question was dad, have you ever been arrested? And then I just kind of had to talk through all that. So those are always fun stories to kind of relive with my kids, telling them in a way about God's grace and all that. So yeah, it's, it's a fun story to tell. No, I think that's awesome. I think it's great when <clears throat> you can, you can uh, let kids see that side that God yep. really does change lives. I think that's an amazing thing. Um, okay. So when it comes to your, your role now, uh, when, when you're as a, as a group of pastors, um, as a team, when you're planning out sermon content, what does that process look like? I know a lot of, uh, a lot of the feedback that I get from the people who subscribe to Preaching Donkey is, how do I plan ahead? What, what, is, what does it look like yeah. for me to get ahead and plan ahead? So I always like to kind of dig into what's your process for that. Well, first, you know, we, we get away with a few of our pastors. We have a teaching team. And then we have some other people, a guy who oversees all our creative stuff and just some other pastors that have a good sense of what's going on. And we, we, we get, get away and look at the year. So the beginning of the year, really before a new year, we get away and we just ask, hey, what are people going through? What are they processing? What are you feeling? What are you praying about? And then we really lay out, here's some topics, kind of whiteboard it. Here's some things we feel like, man, we really want to hit a couple books of the Bible this year. Hey, we want to do a couple character studies. Hey, we need to talk about family finances. And we kind of throw that all out. And, and we have experience over years. So we know that if we're going to do finances, typically February-ish is around that time that we do some of those things. Um, you know, after, after you get into Valentine's day, like we know for our flow that works. Um, we know that after Easter doing a family series kind of works. So we, we have some general topics that about every year we hit, but then we just go through and pray through that. And then we really plug it into the calendar and not everything makes it onto the calendar. And that's where we have to talk and discuss and debate. Um, and then we lay out topically what we feel like should go on the calendar and we basically lay it out. And so I encourage guys in order to get ahead, just to know what series are coming up, it makes it's so important for you to, to look into the year and lay that out. And then in your mind, if you can, if this works for guys, if you can begin looking at that into your writing, and then I encourage guys, if you can write messages to 60%, like look into the future and go, can you write the next three messages to 60%? And then the week of, you can take it that last 40% or the week before you can do the last 40%. But if you can start writing the guts of it, that way, when you get up to it, you're not just cold every week or every other week that you can actually get ahead to be able to do some of those things. But I think having the year span of what you do is just such an important step. Yeah, I love I love the 60% completion thing because I think a lot of people, I know, I know for me, it's very hard for me to bring a sermon all the way when I've got a current one to preach. I mean, that's really yeah. where my heart and my head is. And it's very difficult to think about what's going to be a creative way to illustrate this and make it make it pop three weeks three weeks ahead of time. But you're so right. If it's sixty percent along, that means I've got a basic structure. I've got an outline. Mm -hmm. um, I am I am coming to it, and there's already a body of work that I've done. So mm -hmm. I can I'm freed up to do that creative bit to get it all the way. I think that's a that's a great great strategy. Well, and I think another thing about having it a year out, I think you can even plug in days that you want someone else to be preaching because on those weeks, now sometimes you need to take time off, but on those weeks, those are the weeks that you can get in and get ahead on a few messages because you're not having to write the, the coming week's message. 
that you can sit down and still take your writing time, but actually write a few messages out so that you can get those things to 60%. So if you can just schedule it out in a way where rhythmically that you're taking a Sunday off, letting someone else speak, um, having them go up, but keep your writing time, then you can get some messages ahead and feel like you may not be 100% done with the message when you get to it, but at least you're further ahead. So you can just finish out and kind of put the guts into it um, as you're getting closer. Yeah. Yeah. And th that goes to show like it, there's so many reasons, especially for lead pastors. If, if you are up to bat every week, unless you're off, it's so important to build in time where you're not preaching, which is yep. why the very first thing you said that you guys have a preaching team. I think so many churches, I mean, it's, it's a lot more common now than it used to be, but the idea that it's got to be one guy 50 weeks a year uh, it's very difficult to do that and, and stay ahead or get have any kind of margin at all. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think that, you know, even looking at different, what, what I encourage guys is, you know, everyone who comes up on your team, they're not necessarily going to be able to knock it out of the park every time. But if, if, if they're in your church and people know them like an associate pastor, then, then people love them. So there's a lot of grace for that. <laughs> and there's, and for some people, there's low expectations for some of that too. So, so helping them, guiding them and letting them get up to bed, it, it, they may not knock it out of the park, but people love them and cheering them on. But the break it gives you is so important and it helps you develop that person who's speaking on a regular basis. Yeah. And when you come back as the lead pastor, you have even more of kind of a fresh perspective and you're mm -hmm. perceived, uh, you're appreciated more. I think people get, uh, they get used to it. And if you are the maybe the most skilled experienced communicator in your team by stepping away. When you come back, people are like, Oh yeah, he's back. This is great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so when it comes to like, so we've got the year that we've planned, you, you plug all those things in when it comes down to like a, an individual message, deciding the direction and passage, things like that. What's your, what's your method? Well, for me, you know, everything always starts in prayer, of course. I think that's a pretty standard way to pray about what direction, because you can go a hundred directions about fear, a hundred directions about marriage. I mean, you can go anywhere you want. And so, you know, looking through it, is it a Bible story? Is it a topic? I think it starts with prayer. And then for me, it really is asking the question when I feel like there's that topic, it's really praying through God. What do you, what do you, what do they need to know and what do they need to do? I mean, what are they, at the end of the day, what's, what's kind of the main thing I really hope that they understand and what are they going to take away? Um, and what's the action from that? And then I think it's building around that. Now that, that could be again, a Bible story that God kind of lays on your heart of talk about this marriage specifically and getting into it. But I think really starting with the end in mind of, okay, what are we, what, like, what do I hope that they understand about this story? Or what do I hope they understand about this concept? Like, what do I want them to know? And then what do I want them to be walking out the door on Monday doing? And so I think starting from the end in mind helps, helps me a lot. And then I use, um, and this is uh, communicating for a change. I think it's Andy Stanley, um, his, his method. And I just, it just helps me so much. It's a, he structures a message with me, we, God, you, and we, and it's basically you intro with kind of a story kind of intro. The we is you build tension. So you, you, you want them to want you, like you want them to be on their seat a little bit going, I hope he answers this question. So you're building tension with them. Um, the God piece really is where you resolve it. And then for me, the way I feel like it works is, is he does like a one point message. I probably line up in the two to four points um, for me. And I think structurally that works better for me. And when I do that, 
um, I do. It's a, it's, I actually learned this from Matt Keller, the guy I was with at Next Level Church, but it's PIA, it's Principal Illustration Application. So if I do a point, it's principal, that's the principal. And then I go, what's a story that helps illustrate it? Now, it may be a Bible story, but, and it also may be a personal story. And the reason why I like a personal story is it gives a breathing point where you can talk about it. But then it also, it's it, some of that is it, it helps people connect with you. I, th- I think telling personal stories, and I think one of the mistakes that I feel like I've seen when guys speak is that they talk about something, but don't talk about what they've gone through. Like they say things like, you know how we all have marriage issues? I actually think there's, my opinion is that instead of saying, you know, we all struggle with this and we all fight with our spouse. I think the difference between that and saying, so three months ago, my wife and I got into it about this. Like we actually like to talk about a specific scenario. I think there's such power and it helps people feel more relatable with you and related to you. And they're, they're drawn in. And I think it helps illustrate the, the, what you're going through. So principal illustration and then application, it really is asking some questions to help them understand what the exact point is um, that you're trying to get across so that they can actually apply it to themselves. And so go through those PIA and then the U piece in Andy Stanley's model is you kind of address any of the questions you think they may have in their mind about the topic you're talking about. So you're, if whatever pushback you perceive they might have, that that's kind of how you address it. And then the we at the end is inspiration. It's how do you inspire them? How do you ask some questions so they're walking away with um, some some action items there? So for me, that's a very quick and rough way that if I'm going to write a message, I find out what do I want them to know? What do I want them to do? And then I run through that model and it helps me structure it out, put in some stories, add in some humor, um, but really be able to communicate the truth in a way that people understand it and they're challenged by it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so, it's so funny because the me, we guide you, we framework is so simple on its face, but it is a powerful, powerful communication tool because it can, it can be applied. And and I do the same thing. I've got, I, I will uh, start with me work through we God. Um, I think there's such a brilliance to it because it's it's like a it's like a five point story arc, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that all everything gets tied up at the end with the vision. The kind of can you imagine what it would be like if we all? I, I think um, the way that I have found that it works so well is I will even sometimes use me we throughout the message. Like mm-hmm. for example, if I'm going to give an illustration, it might start with the personal. Um, so like, that's like a little mini me, and then I mm-hmm. might do a few we's that go along with it. You, you said something that I think is really, <clears throat> really, uh, insightful. And that is like, the more your stories, the more you can show your struggles, uh, Craig Rochelle says that our people will be inspired by our, by our discipline, but they are, uh, they're, they relate to our humanity. The problem yep. is pastors tend to go on one side or the other. Either they they they're the chest beating like disciplined. I've never yeah. missed a quiet time, which might inspire people, but nobody can relate to it. Or they might be all over over here on humanity, where my life is a mess and I'm I'm, I'm constantly <laughs> struggling. And yeah, people can relate to that, but it's nobody they want to follow. So you, you have to kind of be both. But I think if you lean towards one or the other too much, it, it can it can really take away. So I think like uh, where I, where I see a lot when in the guys that I work with is I was talking to someone just a few weeks ago 
where every time there was a there was a story, he was the hero of the story. And mm. anytime there was a story about struggle, it was someone else or some mm. vague you or they. Yeah. And I, I said, man, you've got to show your humanity here because mm. you don't seem real. Like, has your marriage ever struggled? Have you ever yelled at your kids? Have you mm. ever been in a gang? <laughs> you know? Right, right. Yeah. And, and, you know, and he just didn't see that. It wasn't like he was mm. trying to be ineffective. He just didn't see that he was missing something so powerful. And so I think like, I, I so agree with you. Anytime I can share something that reveals a little bit of struggle, doubt, humanity, whatever, yeah. uh, in a way that's, you know, some, some things are a little too fresh to share. Some things you're still working through. You got to use wisdom, but I think like we could push it a lot further than we do. And, and it makes people lean in, uh, and trust us a lot more. Yeah. Well, the, the, some of the good best advice I got about this was, is that you, you have to talk about what you've been through, not what you're in, because when you talk about what you're in, so like, let's say your wife or you and your wife are going through a struggle right now. If you talk about that, then, then yes, there's a level of vulnerability, but you emotionally enmesh people. And so basically now, instead of hearing what you have to say, I'm trying to help, I'm trying to fix you. So Ooh, now you've, in, you've invited them into your issue. So if you talk about how the struggle you have with your kids right now, now they're not even hearing your sermon. What they're here, what they're thinking is, I can't wait till he's done because I need to go tell him I help his kids. So for me, when I do that, I talk about what I've been through, not what I'm in. So when I've gone through struggles with parenting, I talk about stories from the past. I won't, and and honestly, I don't, I don't talk about what I'm in right now for the most part. It's a small, small environment with people that I trust. I can do that. And some of that is I don't want my kids to hear it coming back. They're 12 and 14. Um, and I've told them there actually isn't a story that I will tell about them without asking them first, because they've just gotten to the age where they, that it's good for them to actually go, hey, let me tell you a story. This is what I'm thinking about talking about on the weekend. Are you comfortable with me saying this? And there really has only been one time where they said no, which is fine. Um, but so I think for me, it's you don't want to emotionally bring them into suddenly they become your, oh, he's got, I have kids like his, I, I think I can help them because everyone thinks they have great parenting advice and everyone thinks they have great marriage advice and so it's for me it's it's talk about your vulnerabilities and struggles you've been through not the struggles you're in right now in a sunday morning especially sermon now, if you're in a small group yes be open and 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 vulnerable but in a in a sermon um that's that's been a good guide for me that is i i man i have never heard that <clears throat> i love it i actually i, I made a note of it because i'm going to make a video all about just that topic. And I'll, I'll be sure to cite you. I'll say, I'll say it originated <laughs> yeah, well, with you. You don't have to. So I'm, I learned it from someone else, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, what you've been through, not what you're in. And, you know, I've always thought of that from in terms of like, you're still working through it. So, uh, or maybe it's you're too close to it. I never considered the effect that you have on them in the moment that you're emotionally in investing them in your problem versus getting them to focus on the point of the message or the application. Cause I think like the, the, the main objective we have as communicators is to capture and maintain people's attention so that we can point them towards the bottom line of the message, which leads to life change, right? Like you've got to figure out like, what are you trying to communicate, get people's attention and communicate that. The problem with sharing something like you said that you're currently working through, you've got their attention, but you're directing it towards something that has nothing to do with your bottom line or what you want them to do with it. 
Um, so that would be a massive fail to to have somebody to have your audience's attention and just and and take it take it away like that. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, okay, so I so when it comes to like study, uh, when you're researching, are there pastors you listen to, podcasts you listen to? What what's your commentaries you read, things like that? Yeah, you know, and that's a great thing about the internet now. There's such a wide variety. There's actually a couple things. So there's a guy, there's a guy in our church who actually is at the campus where I directly oversee, and he is a ex major league baseball player. So he played the majors. He re, he's retired from the major leagues, and and strong Christian. Got saved kind of his last year playing. He played for the Indians for a lot of years, and he played for the Yankees maybe his last year, and that's how he ended up in Tampa because they spring train down here. Got saved at our church and now lives in Tampa, but he loves it. He loves the research. He loves the study. And so when there, when I'm speaking, I'll give him, Hey, this is a topic I'm going to talk about. And he just, I kind of give him a general direction of what I'm feeling and he'll run in a direction and actually go find, like he'll go listen to eight sermons about a topic and it just, it's still helpful. And he'll go, Hey, this is what I found was helpful. This helped me out a lot. Um, and so that's helpful. If you have anybody like that, it's to empower them is it's so good because it helps you. But then I have, I have one of the things that I do is when I feel like there's a passage, even if it's just a verse, but especially a passage, I will actually go listen to some guys. Now, yes, topically I listen to it, but there's a couple guys that I listen to that do verse by verse teachings. Now I don't agree with everything theologically they do, but that's not the point for me. It's I want them to dive down deep and explain like where this is at. There's a guy named Stephen Armstrong, and I think he has a church in maybe Austin, Texas. Like, I don't even know any of that. I just know this guy teaches through the Bible. He's not like, dang, just so inspiring. He just, it just, it's very informational and good. Um, there's another church called Cornerstone. I'm going to look at it right now, but Cornerstone um, that they have their own app. And they have like all, and he basically, all he does on Sunday morning, he teaches um, verse by verse through the Bible. And then he does a midweek study verse by verse through the Bible, where it's more in depth than it is on the weekend. I don't know how this guy does it. He What's his name? Brilliant. <sighs> his name is Gary Hamrick. I've met him. I, cause he's, yeah. in, he's yeah. in the DC, he's in the DC area. And I used to, I used to uh, pass her to church there and we, we had lunch and yeah, he's the Calvary Chapel model where they're just teaching straight through the yeah. whole thing. And when they're done, they start over again. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, Cornerstone's an, that's an awesome church. Yeah, so I listen to their midweek because it's deeper, and I'll listen to it. And for me, I'm it's that. I'm searching for it. Like, I want there to be a, a component that when I teach, that yes, we're going to teach on the topic, but if there are, are nuances in the scripture, nuances in the story, like, I want to be able to explain that. One, I think people like knowing some of that. Oh, I never knew that about that story. Um, but, and it also just helps me understand it. Like, I think for us as, as preachers, we're not just trying to find scriptures to line up with topics. We actually want it to line up. And so, um, getting into some of those, it's very helpful as I am navigating through some of that. So that's a couple different ways for me that I'm trying to do research and trying to learn. Yeah. I love, <clears throat> I love that because I think in, in the old days, uh, you know, 20 years ago or whatever, y- you would do that, but you would just do it reading a commentary, right? That's all a yeah. commentary real is. It takes takes a verse and it gives that author's thoughts on it. Mm-hmm. The next verse, the next verse. So if you're listening to verse by verse teaching, it's basically like an audible commentary with the 
the the the flavor of there's an audience there so it's got to be engaging mm -hmm. at least at some level i think that's really smart um i wrote those names down i think i think you know i've been in situations <clears throat> where i'm teaching on a text that maybe it's a little bit obscure or maybe i haven't taught on it before and i don't I, there's some things that I don't quite know what direction I need to go. I don't want to be committing heresy. That's always a thing I'm trying to avoid. Right, <laughs> <You> always. <laughs> um, and so to know of who has taught, because like you know, you can go to YouTube, you can go to your podcast app, and you can try to find these things. But to have mm -hmm. those names right there, so Stephen Armstrong and Gary Hambrick, Hambrick, and of course, like you said, I think you, I think what you said is really wise. Just because you can learn from someone doesn't mean that you agree full stop with everything they've ever said and every theological nuance they they hold. You don't yeah. have to. And I think as pastors, especially, we have to be able to be confident in what we believe and, and why we believe it and be able to listen to and learn from anyone um, regardless. I mean, I, I think there are, you know, limits and things like that, but especially when it comes to uh, like how we do what we do, I think mm -hmm. if you can see a system or a method that's working, it's interesting. I was uh, a few weeks ago. I was doing a a, a, pod, a podcast, and I was just citing an article from Christianity Today. Emailed it out to my list. Uh, everybody who subscribes to Preaching Donkey said, "Hey, this is really interesting. There's something about sermon length." <laughs> this guy writes back and he says, "I'm I'm unsubscribing because I don't believe in Christianity Today. They have an agenda, and I can't believe you'd cite them." And I said, "It's an article. I just read it, and I gave my thoughts on it." And he said, "Too not no that, that you're not you're not discerning whatever." So <clears throat> I thought that was a very limited perspective on yeah, yeah. You know, what you're able to expose yourself to. So I think, again, I think as church leaders and pastors, we have to have the nuance and the we have to allow ourselves to learn from a lot of different people. So I think that's there's some wisdom there. Who, who are some of your guys? Who do you listen to? So <clears throat> when it comes to uh, like verse by verse teaching, I really love Tim Keller. Um, he doesn't mm -hmm. preach a whole lot anymore, but he's got a backlog of a, a million sermons long. And he has like a, a way of bringing um, a lot of research and and different kind of cultural stuff into into his messages to where when when I'm trying to learn a text or when I'm trying to really understand a text, like I think about I I taught on John four, the woman at the well, and uh, mm -hmm. he had such a unique perspective on that that it changed the the whole direction of it was like a three week series I was doing, and I changed it from being about. Um, kind of the, the interaction itself to, to being about worship, because the argument he made was that Jesus was appealing to this woman to experience a different type of worship than what she was experiencing. She was looking for satisfaction and fulfillment in the, the five guys she was married to and all these other things. And Jesus was offering something that would give her life. And anyway, the point is, he said it way better than I did, um, but I was very inspired by that. I, I like Andy. I like Craig. Um, I like, uh, you know, I'll, I'll cycle through different people. Uh, Andy Stanley, Craig Rochelle. Um, yep. I'll, I'll cycle through like people that, um, that I like, and then I'll get tired of them and I'll stop listening for a while and then come right. back. Um, but it just depends. It depends. And I, sometimes I really like what, what you were talking about, where I'll search for it and find somebody that I don't know of yet. And I can discover a new communicator that way. Um, yeah. it's, it, it's sad because a lot of the people that I used to love listening to and listen to a lot have all, uh, gone away because of scandals. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a weird deal right now. That's a, yeah. it seems like there's a little bit of a wave happening. 
Yeah, because um, it's funny terrible. you mentioned you asked that. I'm like, well, that name, don't want to mention it. That name, don't want to mention it. You know. Yeah. So it is. It is what it is. I guess that's a lesson for <clears throat> for all of us. Um, yeah. So when it comes to the PIA method, mm-hmm. um, I what I what I love about that is because I've I've talked about similar thing. Just I, I I have the word teach for principle, but teach, illustrate, apply, same exact kind of mm-hmm. thing. Like the if you're gonna make a point. You, you got to ask, did I, did I communicate the principle? Have I illustrated mm-hmm. it? Have I applied it? And I think like, that's a great uh, way of measuring. Did I do what needed to be done? Cause sometimes like if I'm making a point, cause I'm like you, I don't do one point messages. I typically will have like a bottom line that I want to draw everybody's attention to that kind of bolsters and hint uh, the whole message hinges on that. But I might yeah. have two or three points that support it and, and mm-hmm. go along with it as I'm walking through the God section. Um, yeah. And it can be tempting to just just hit on the principle of a point. Maybe it's not as interesting. Yeah. Maybe I didn't spend as much time on it. And then move on to the next point. And the next point, I really get into principle, illustration, and application. But it's a lopsided message, right? Because um, yeah. your yeah. message is only as strong as your weakest point. And if this point mm-hmm. isn't worth illustrating and applying, it's not worth teaching. So. Yeah. I think there, that's a really good measure of, is this message doing what it needs to do? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think for me, you know, it's kind of interesting because to do a story after every point, I, I'll do that. Sometimes if I get three, more than three points, I will, one of those, I won't necessarily always do an illustration only because I think the, if I feel like, okay, I think this point can stand on its own without me tying it in and I can hit them a little bit. Yeah. Um, and that's, and that probably has more to do with the time thing. And, you know, probably has more to do with trying to actually give people enough time to, to or, or the time of the message so we can actually get to the end. <laughs> because again, if you're telling, depending on how you are as a storyteller, if you're telling, you know, seven stories in a message, it's like, well, we're here an hour. Like it's, it's yeah. a long time. So trying to pare that down a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why, you know, you've, you've got to, I, I think like, uh, it's helpful when you're working with a, uh, a time limit and you actually respect it because it forces creativity mm-hmm. uh, and it forces some things to just get cut and they don't make it into the message. And I think that makes for a better, better experience overall when it's yeah, open-ended, sure. we, we take, mm-hmm. we fill that space, you know? Um, yeah. All right. So th- this has been really helpful. I, when it comes to like uh, preaching in general, no matter who you are, it takes a while to find your voice, to figure out who it is, who you are, how you stand mm-hmm. out from other people. So can you kind of walk me through what did that look like for you finding your voice? Well, the church I was at in Fort Myers, um, the guy's name is Matt Keller. He's the lead pastor. And Matt is probably, he's, he's one of the better, like, I think he is a really good communicator because he is, he's so smart in the way he does it. In fact, like he's taught some guys some, like he could, he could start a school on speaking. And so, so when I was first starting to speak, like for me, it was not like, I was not the guy that people thought would ever do that. And so, so for me, it was being close to him. I just learned how to do it the way he did it. So it was very much his method, go this way, do this. And I think that I got to a place over time where I said, okay, I think I can copy what he's doing really well, but he and I are very different individuals. And so I had to start going out and going, okay, I can mimic this, but how do I start trying out my voice in different areas and how can I do different things? And I remember I went to Kenya on a mission trip and I, I'm, I'm leading this mission trip and the missionary said, hey, 
you know, the next three nights, we're going to do a revival in this African church with all these pastors that are here. We're going to do a revival every night. So it's not a teaching because I was doing some teaching with them. It is a, you're going to like, you're going to bring the heat. And he's, the word he actually said was, you have to shuck the corn, which I've never heard that before. <laughs> never heard it since, but you better <laughs> shuck the corn. And so what it did was, you know, if you think about, if you think about speed between one and 10, and you think about volume between one and 10, I was pretty comfortable in that um, three to seven range, you know, in that zone on both yeah. of them, that I'm not going to go super loud and I'm not going to go super soft. But doing that revival, it for like it almost knocked the lid off of the top end for me because I'm yelling and jumping around. Like it was very much like I was trying to shuck the corn. Yeah. But what that did for me was I felt like it expanded my range. Hmm. And and then I did that for a while going, you know what? And honestly, now I don't think I'm an eight, nine. I like I'm not going to go up to nine. I don't think that's who I am. I feel like it's fake when I'm screaming and yelling and we got like that's just not that's yeah. not who I am but again I felt like I had to try that range a little bit to figure out who it was and so I still think I'm learning I still think I'm continuing to learn my voice and how I speak and so not getting locked in and really asking do you feel like you're communicating like your heart right now do you feel like you're communicating in a way that people understand you and is it and I think I think that transitioning from that and this is just my perspective that our society is is gravitating towards people who can transition from that preacher voice to a more of a conversational, like, I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to be real with you. I'm going to be very upfront with you. Um, but I'm not going to switch voices when I'm up on stage. So I'm not going to switch into the preacher voice. So for me, I've tried to, like, I'm trying to get that more of how do I have a conversation, but a very like in their business at times conversation. Um, and, and have that voice. So I think that's the, it's, I still feel like I'm learning that process. Yeah. It's, <clears throat> that's really good. It's, it's, it is really a lifetime thing. Cause I feel like, I feel like my, I would have said five years ago that I, I have my voice and I'm preaching in voice for whatever that yeah. means, but, yeah. <clears throat> but I'm different now than I was then. So uh, those are two different voices, but really it's just an evolution of who I'm around, what I'm listening to, my life experiences, my maturity, all those things play into it. It's funny. I can watch any sermon I've ever preached and cringe because I can tell exactly who I was most influenced by in that moment, right? Yeah. Like I yeah. can tell if it was Andy Stanley, if it was Matt Chandler, if it was Craig Rochelle, if it was Perry Noble and I'm screaming and cussing at everybody, if it was, if it was uh, Stephen Furtick and I'm doing lunges yeah. and I'm holding a handheld mic. I mean, like I, uh -huh. I know who I was most influenced by. And it's hard not to be if you're listening to people. Uh, that's just the way it goes, and I think that's okay. But where I messed up early in my in my preaching was I lacked the confidence to think that anything I could do or come up with or say or be like would be good enough. So I would just pick my favorite communicator and be like, "Okay, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna be like them." The problem is yeah. I'm not them, so I'm like a half like a <laughs> second rate, you know, copy. And the world already has Matt Chandler. They don't need another one, right? The world already has Andy Stanley. They don't need another one. So uh, that that was a massive kind of um, shift for me to go, okay, I'm not those people. It would be, like you said, fake. It would be inauthentic. It'd be fake for me mm -hmm. to try. Like sometimes I'll watch like a lot of uh, communicators, like I think about like um, Judah, Judah Smith or like... Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, Stephen Furtick, those guys that get really just emotionally into it. They're very, uh, 
Carl Lentz, you know, before he, he went away, like just able to uh, just reach out and grab, capture the, uh, the crowd and bring him in. Yeah. Really, really uh, like tempting to go. I wish I could do that. I wish I could be that way, but it wouldn't be believable. I, I'm not like that in real life. Yeah. You know, I, like you said, I just have conversations and when I get on stage, I do that on stage and it, it works for me in a way that that works for them. So, yeah. And um, I, and it's, and it's interesting. Stephen Furtick is a guy, cause I have uh, some friends there. I think everyone has friends who go to the church or, you know, sure. work at the church. And there's one lady who used to work with me down in Fort Myers who, who lives in Charlotte and attends a church. And she's, she's not, she's, she's pretty chill. And I'm listening to these, these sermons by Stephen Furtick, you know, he's like, touch somebody and tell them. And I, and I text her, I said, I am a, like, I don't understand how you can be there because thinking of you turning and touching someone in the middle of a message and saying something. And she replied, she goes, it's, she goes, it's funny, but it really works. Like it really, like it, like in the room. And I think for him, he is in the room and, and with Steven, his, his, he has found his voice and it works great. But too, I do think too many guys, they, they latch on to, to these guys that have come up real big and try to preach like them. And it does come off as inauthentic and they can't figure out why it doesn't work. And they, and, and I think try it out for a season, but then you got to ask the question, is, is this really who I am? Like, do I feel like I found my voice and then really get into a place where you actually find out who you are. So try to be Andy Stanley and do pauses and don't do notes and try to be Stephen Furtick and preach what they had to help do all that stuff. But you really got to figure out who was God created me to be, be and who, what, what is that unique voice that he's called me to um, and I, th- I do, I do think it's a journey. And like you said, I think as you change, as seasons change, uh, your voice changes. And I think it's being comfortable with that, knowing, um, knowing that you just got to keep growing in that and not settling into a certain, like allowing it to be a thing that you continue to grow and you don't just make it like good enough. And then you don't grow anymore. Yes. Yeah. That is, that is a massive, massive point. Cause I think like, as soon as you feel like you've arrived, it's, you know, preaching is a treadmill. If you're not moving forward, you're not yeah. staying still, you're going backwards. Yeah. <clears throat> I think like, you know, the other thing that's changed for me is I used to be a lot more, um, it's hard to put it in words. Like I came across a lot more judgy and condemning. Um, mm. And I think I've shifted over the years to be a lot more, or at least like what I feel is coming across is a lot more um, hopeful and inspiring. Um, like, it's still, it's why, still, why do you, why do you, why do you think that is? Is it an age thing? Some, some of that, like, uh, I think, you know, I'm, I have four kids and I think like yeah. what I know appeals to like what reaches them is not mm-hmm. stop doing that. It's calling them to something higher. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I think like, you know, I, I think I, maybe there's some of that, like being, being a, a dad and thinking about maybe that's in my subconscious, but also I, I just think that like, I, I grew up in a very like legalistic uh, type of, of church. It was called Independent Fundamental Baptist. So we were, we were like, uh, you know, lots of, there's a rule for everything. You're always breaking mm-hmm. rules. There's always something you were doing wrong. Um, then I kind of went into just your standard issue, kind of Southern Baptist environment, then kind of non-denom, uh, Baptistic, non-denominational type thing. Um, mm-hmm. And... Uh, I think like I've over the years, like shedded a little bit of the legalism that still persisted just um, kind of like 
what I was taught when I was a kid is, you know, God is, God is here and he's looking mm-hmm. down at you and he's saying, if you want to get to me, you better work, right? Where mm-hmm. the gospel is God actually came and became one of us, which I've always, mm-hmm. I, I would have said, I believed that, but in my, in my teaching, it was more like you come to Christ, you, you know, you're given a D you're, it's a passing grade, but it's nothing to write home about. Right. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh-huh. you need to work your way up to an A um, because that's just the, the legalism that I'm shedding. So, um, yeah, I think also, I think, you know, it's, it's interesting. I think I was highly, highly influenced by the type of preaching that I was listening to a lot back in those days, which yeah. was your kind of, uh, Mark Driscoll's and Matt Chandler's mm-hmm. who were a lot more just like, you know, here's, here's the rules, <laughs> you know, I'm not trying to, I mean, they were saying yeah, yeah, yeah. that, but the point is that was the tone that was kind of common when I was coming of age. Um, and I think that's changed. And I think that's a good thing. I think if, if we can strike a, uh, a balance of not sacrificing truth and calling people to more, um, but at the same time, presenting hope and, and the, and love and inspiration, I, I think, I think that's a good balance. And I think pastors can err on both sides. I mean, you, you can be the kind of cloud in the air, like you're not saying anything of substance and everybody just feels good. Uh, and that doesn't really help anybody, but you can also mm-hmm. be the condemning judgmental. Everybody feels terrible, but there's no hope and there's no gospel redemption in that. And that's not good either. So trying to strike a balance. So let me get your thoughts on this. So it seems like there have been these waves, you know, you kind of had Bill Hybels kind of brought in this wave of seeker friendly, Rick Warren, Andy Stanley, yep. and, and very much like, let's reach whatever cost we're going to reach the lost. And then you have these waves of we're just kind of pissed off and men, you need to step up and we're going to be in your, it's Mark Driscoll, Gary Lamb, you know, some of those guys who are just Perry Noble, just in your business. And then it seems like there's this wave of like preacher, like Stephen Furtick, Carl Lentz, like a little bit more of that, even not celebrity preachers, but a little bit of that flow. It seems like there's different waves that come in at different, and, and again, and, and some of the more public ones kind of come up and they go like they, they, they definitely have those seasons where it seems like, man, all those guys that were like in the front, they, they've really been hit or they've been attacked or they've messed up. Um, yeah. How, how do you see those waves? And, you, you know, for you talking to a lot of guys who do this, do you, do you see another wave coming? Yeah, that's a great, that's a great question. So I am so bad at predicting the future. I'm, I'm, I'm far <laughs> and, more and skilled. We didn't talk about this before, so I'm definitely <laughs> just randomly throwing you. No, questions. this is this is great. I love talking about this stuff. I mean, I think uh, so. I looking back at those waves, the one thing that I that I try to do and that I try to encourage my listeners to do is to not look with like um, judgmental um, kind of. Um, snobbery on those on those movements because yeah. you know it's easy like when i was coming of age there was a lot of hate for uh the seeker sensitive movement and it was just kind of mm-hmm. cool to hate on it like you know they were just boomers doing boomer church um and it was it was light and fluffy and whatever i think that w- to 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 do that is to really miss like the heart behind it that these guys mm-hmm. had come from a type of church that was very stilted and very rigid and very unappealing. Um, and so they saw that as a barrier, not a bridge. So they said, okay, let's shed some of that, some of those extremities so we can really present like the love of Christ in a way that is going to be more accessible. I think that's amazing. Like that, that's an incredible like thing to, to go after. So it's easy kind of 
you know, mid 2000s roll around, late 2000s, 2007, 8, 9, 10, where it became very cool with the, you know, the young Calvinist reform, uh, young hip reform, that, that <laughs> whole thing to be like, there's a new sheriff in town. We all have beards. We all got whiskey and we are mad at seeker, seeker sensitive because it was had too many pastel colors and it wasn't oh, yeah. enough telling man, uh, men to men to man up. So, you know, here's how we're doing it now. And, and, and that was appealing and that was attractive to people mm-hmm. and it was different. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's easy to hate on that, but there was a lot of truth to that too. It was like, Hey, w- we need to, um, to take, take responsibility to lead our families well and to serve our communities well. And there was an emphasis on the gospel. Uh, I think that's great. And I, I think like it had its flaws in the same way that the secret sensitive thing had its flaws. I'm very, I'm very hesitant about the, the celebrity culture, uh, that's kind of, Maybe that wave is ending, but like you mentioned some names there. And I think like there's the the young Calvinist reform thing was really replaced by the cult of personality of like this guy dresses cool, looks cool, speaks really mm-hmm. well, speaks to my heart, you know, choose the mic off with every sermon. And uh, and I think like we're seeing that that kind of has its drawbacks, too, because you you can really reach a whole lot of people but a lot is dependent. And this has always been the case in almost everything, but a lot's dependent on one man and him remaining faithful to his wife, you know, yeah. uh, keeping his, his pants on like all these things that one little mistake and you've got tens of thousands of people that are affected. And I don't know what the answer to that is because you can't stop people from being influential and growing large churches. Well, and it seems like with each movement, it's interesting, each movement, you know, you have the extreme, probably the guys who are heading it up, but I think each movement leaves us in a better place. So the seeker movement, it definitely took the church and looked outside with the, hey, suck it up, men, go do it. There, I mean, it did go, you know what, we probably need to call people out on some things a little bit more than the seeker movement kind of gave, like, so it's almost, I almost wonder if these movements, even though we see, you know, when people fall, that's, we see the bad version. I wonder, I, I think my question with it all is, and I don't know, and um, you can edit this out if you want to. It's almost like I wonder if, if God is like introducing new parts of new waves of what the church can be to reach the culture and reach the community. But again, in these waves of these leaders that are coming through going, hey, we actually need to be a little bit more repentant. OK, well, here's kind of this wave of these guys. I don't know. I, I don't know that I would necessarily know what outside of like maybe honor. I don't know why the celebrity pastor. I don't know what wave that's brought in. But I don't think I typically know when the wave actually happens that I do a good job of going, here's what I think is actually happening behind the scenes. But maybe as that goes by, we'll be able to look on and go, yeah, this is what I think this was about or the season was about. So that's more just guess. That's more just extroversion talk. Yeah. No, I think it's I think it's really interesting. I, I like to, you know, with these conversations, try, try to focus on like for those of us who are not celebrity pastors because very few of us are right. Uh, for those of us who lead smaller churches or medium sized churches, what is the lesson for us? And one of the things that I talk about a lot is that it's easy to look at somebody like Carl Lentz and go, yep, uh, man, I could see that coming a mile away, but that same thing happens in small towns and small churches all over the country and all over the world. We just don't hear about it. Um, and, and so, uh, because you can be the pastor of a church of 200 people and be a star, to those people. 
Um, and, and, and you can fall into all the same temptations and you can have a lack of accountability because everybody trusts you and they think you're amazing. And maybe you don't have the right accountability structures in place. You don't have the things that keep you from, from going astray that in, in a way that you, you just are prone to as a human being, um, that can happen in a small church, just like a large church. So I think the lessons are no matter what, what phase we're in, if we can look at something and learn, okay, here's, here's some things that we, we can take from this. And here's some things that can, we can really get in trouble if we don't avoid and don't put up some, some boundaries because all of those things, when they come crashing down, affect the, the, the name of Christ in our communities and in our, in our country, they affect, uh, people's faith. Like if you think about like right now with this, like exvangelical movement, you know, the, like the deconversion and deconstruction going on, a lot of that has to do with a reaction to church culture, not Jesus, right? So a lot of people are walking away from faith altogether, but they're citing messed up people as mainly the reasons. Most deconstruction yeah. stories that I see are not, I studied all the research and decided that I no longer believe in God. It's, I want nothing to do with these people and this movement called evangelical Christianity. So I'm leaving it all, including Jesus. And yeah. that's a massive problem. Um, and I don't know what the answer is, but I think whatever's happening right now, that's going to be part of it. Like answering mm-hmm. that problem is going to be part of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. And, and I would say kind of the last thing, one of the things that I, I asked our lead pastor at one point, I said, Hey, what's the one thing you would get? what's the one piece of advice? And he said, I remember he said, I would, I would encourage young guys like to figure out a way to be secure in who God has made them to be. Mm. And I think there is a component, even finding your voice. It's, I think when you're trying to be other people, at some point you have to look inside and go, what is the reason? Why am I not comfortable just being who God has made me to be? That's why I think you can, you can mimic someone for a season, but you got to come back and allow those things to influence you, but not become you. And, and I think it's just really getting to a place where, you know, Proverbs 423, you know, guard your heart because everything you do flows from it. I think there has to be this process with leaders and preachers and pastors. We have to constantly be asking the question, what's flowing out of me and where is that coming from and working through our heart and forgiving and navigating that? Because at the end of the day, like we want to be healthy leaders. We want the stuff we teach, but also just the way we lead to be healthy. And so I think really trying to become secure as leaders and being in that journey and going through counseling and being in small groups, it's so important to become a healthy leader. And so I'm not, you know, I'm not there hundred percent. Like we're all on the journey together, becoming yeah. more healthy. I just think it's so huge. Yeah. I think that's great, man. Um, yeah. well said, we'll end it there. I think we've had a, we've talked nice. about a lot of cool stuff and that's a great way to end it on that note. Where can people find you? Uh, where can they watch your messages, learn more about you, follow you on social? Yep. So our church is called Grace Family Church. It's gfcflorida.com. And Pastor Mike Ash is my Instagram handle. And uh, yeah, and everything else is just Pastor Mike Ash. Awesome. Mike, it's so great to have you on today, man. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. It's awesome. God bless. Yeah, you too. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. So grateful that Mike came on the show today. Be sure to check him out on all the different links that he mentioned. Be sure to go to preachingdonkey.com slash 21 days if you haven't gotten your free guide yet. And I will see you in the next episode. Until then, remember, if God can speak through a donkey, 
He can speak through you and he can speak through me. We'll see you next time here on the Preaching Donkey Podcast. Mm-hmm.